this is the podcast for Comic Book Bill uh, for February 2012, the 1st of February 2012, and today I'm joined with uh, Dan Horn. Um, he's been doing the podcast for a few weeks now, just like me. So, uh, yeah. Hi, Dan. How are you today? Good. How are you? Great. Uh, a bit tired from uh, work and everything, but uh, yeah, great overall. So, big news today. Yeah, pretty big news. Um, I guess, depending on what your, uh, <laughs> how you look at it, um, DC just announced the Watchmen prequels. Um, so that is now official. Uh, there's going to be a four-issue miniseries uh, about Rorschach, uh, written by Brian Azzarello with Art by Lee Bermejo. Uh, a six issue miniseries about the Minutemen um, by Darwin Cook. Um, another six issue series about the comedian by Brian Azzarello again and artist J.G. Uh, Jones. Uh, Dr. Manhattan series, it's four issues, and that's by uh, JMS and Hughes. And then a Night Owl. Series also by JMS and then the Cooper Brothers. Yep. Um, and Ozymandias uh, six issue series by Len Wein, who was the editor of the original Watchmen series. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. And um, artist Jay Lee. And then a four issue Silk Spectre um, series written by Darwin Cook with Amanda Connor on art. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's good. And um, I guess all of the new new series will have um, the uh, Curse of the Crimson Corsair backups, um, which is kind of a throwback to um, those uh, pirate pulps that Alan Moore originally had in um, The Watchmen. Yeah. By yeah. fake artist, well, I don't know, I think he's real actually. No, Joe Orlando, he's real. Yeah. Okay. I think it was credited to him in the old Watchmen. I'm not exactly sure. Right? Uh, the, was... uh, actually, I'd have to check on that. I'm not sure if those are... Check <laughs> yeah, I can check too. Do some research on the fly. <laughs> yeah, Joe Orlando. cartoonist okay but he was also credited with the watchman uh well the, the pirate whatever it's called right uh, yeah I, I found it yeah it is yeah yep you can do uh tales of the Bra uh, black freighter so yeah that was um his work in the watchman i didn't even realize that yeah interesting um so what's your opinion on, on uh, the watchmen prequels well i think we had um two really good articles that just went up on uh, the yeah. comic book book today good um, opinions night, yeah <laughs> they were both uh, diametrically opposed <laughs> <laughs> um, one was by andy frisk and one was by zach edwards yeah and, um, i would have to say that i identify with Zach's 
um, take on all of this. <laughs> he seems to be channeling the same kind of uh, uh, despondent um, indignation. Indignation, yeah, that I, I have been feeling for the past um, few months. <laughs> so, um, I don't know, you know, I, I Andy kind of took a jab at uh, Alan Moore saying that he's kind of crazy again. But I really, um, I kind of agree with what he's saying. I think um, DC is just mining, uh, you know, 25-year-old properties uh, to rake in the dough. You know, it's just a, it's just a cash grab. But do I see some uh, hypocrisy? Well, I'll read Alan Moore's uh, quote. It's, uh, I tend to take this latest development as a kind of eager confirmation that they are still apparently dependent on ideas that I had 25 years ago. Um, you know, he's uh, he is really egotistical and a little bit conceited. Um, and I do sense some hypocrisy. You know, this is a guy that... Uh, made his name writing uh, Superman comics and Swamp Thing and um, uh, Batman. Yeah. So this is, this is a guy that was working on other people's properties, you know, before he had um, any of his own, uh, you know, uh, smash hits, I guess. <laughs> I guess so, you, uh, to continue on what you're saying, uh, the Watchmen, originally, he wanted to use the old Charlton characters. Okay. Um, so, obviously, Dr. Manhattan is uh, Captain Atom. Mm -hmm. uh, Silk Spectre is um, Nightshade. Yeah. And so, um, the Night Owl is Blue Beetle. Mm -hmm. And um, Peacemaker is... Uh, the comedian, and so on. Um, I'd have to check exactly, but that's how it was set up originally. So you could claim that, yeah, those, I mean, DC asked him to make new characters out of them instead of using the old one because they wanted to use them in the regular DC universe. So in the end, I guess, if he had used the original Charlton characters that DC had just acquired back then, uh, he wouldn't even have any claim whatsoever uh, in owning them. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, well, while I'm I'm not real fond of um, the uh, prequel to The Watchmen, I would also be remiss if I didn't admit that I think the original Watchmen series is a little overrated. <laughs> so I don't know. It's I guess I'm not really sure how I feel. I mean, I, I love some of these creative teams that they've um, put together here, like Azzarello and uh, Bermejo. I'm interested to see what they do with Lorschach. And um, I want to see what Azzarello does with uh, the comedian as well. Um, JMS, you know, uh, J. Michael Straczynski, I'm kind of... Um, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> well... It's funny because uh, one of my feeling is um, I, I will agree with Alan Moore that they are using 25-year-old stuff that he created. Uh, he, he, in terms of modern comic, the way that a lot of, the, well, the modern take on the, or postmodern, whatever, on, on comic books, on superheroes, 
that's a lot of it is Alan Moore, even though Mark Greenwald did um, kind of that with Marvel uh, in their Justice League copycat series. Um, I think it was called Squadron something or, you know, like the fake, um, the fake Justice League that Marvel had? Yeah, was it Squadron Supreme? Yeah, those guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Mark Greenwald did a lot of that stuff at the time before even uh, Alan Moore, but probably didn't take it to the logical extreme. Well, he did, but not the same kind of treatment. So it, it still felt like comic bookish in a way, versus yeah. The Watchmen probably did not feel, well, the traditional comic bookish feel. It didn't have that. So, in a sense, I, I will agree with Alan Moore that they are using his way of of talking about superheroes and all of those universes and so on. That's a lot of it is taken from Watchmen. But then I would also say that um, you know what, um, those guys, all those creators doing that are going to be working on Watchmen, you could claim that everything that's come uh, from Marvel and DC since Watchmen has been published, including uh, the Ultimate Universe and everything else, and the way how, like, the, there's no more thought bubbles anymore and so on. Um, a lot of uh, narrative captions and so on. Uh, you could claim that, you know what, all of those guys have been trying to do Watchmen for years and years and years. Now, and, and people have been accusing them of that. Like, people have been saying, well, you're just trying to redo Watchmen with, I don't know, your run of this and, and so on. And now they finally have an opportunity to actually do it officially <laughs> and stop faking. And stop faking their own little Watchmen universe or comic book series and so on. And actually do a real Watchmen thing. Um, so I, I would probably say, get it out of your system, guys. <laughs> Go ahead and do it. You know, then forget about it and try to create something that's completely new, but get it out of your system once and for all. Go, go and do all those Watchmen comics that you need to, to get made. <laughs> and maybe after that, we can start exploring. Like you guys will, like, if you run all the Alan Moore way of storytelling to the ground once and for all, like go ahead and like go deep in it, establish it, like copy it as much as you want. Go and do it and have fun. But then when you guys come back for more comics, do something else, please. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's how I see it. So it, it is, I guess, acknowledging that they are, in a sense, kind of ripping off Alan Moore's work. And Dave Gibbons, we have to, we can't forget Dave Gibbons, who doesn't yeah. seem to have a problem with all of that. <laughs> well, Dave Gibbons is, it always seems like it's the, um, the artist that doesn't really mind. <laughs> I mean, uh, Dave Gibbons didn't have a problem with uh, the movie, and so he's he's credited with um, Zack Snyder's film adaptation, and Alan Moore does not. Uh, Which Alan Moore requested that. Yeah. I mean, and the same same thing with V for Vendetta as well. Exactly, and he's the one who doesn't want to take the money. Also. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it. He's the one who says, "Don't credit me and don't pay me for these things." Well, yeah, it's kind of smart, though, you know, because uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was completely awful. <laughs> and and um, uh, I would argue that uh, the Watchmen movie was pretty uh, mediocre as well. Um, yeah, 
the first time I saw it at the theater, actually, I kind of liked it. Uh, but then when I w- tried to watch it on DVD, I, it, it just fell apart. Yeah. Um, so I didn't like it on DVD. So I, and I can't watch it, even though I've got it. <laughs> I just can't watch it. It's 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 painful to watch. Yeah, it's uh, it's very long, and I I feel like um, <laughs> it's almost satire. Uh, yeah. It's it's just bad. I don't know. <laughs> but um, it's funny because. To go back to Alan Moore himself, um, a lot of his work, like if you look at From Hell, that's like an updated, uh, uh, what's his name? The, the, oh, I keep forgetting stuff. Um, Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. That's an updated Jack the, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It, it's an updated it's Jack a, the Ripper. It's take. a take. Yeah. It's a take on the, uh, Jack the Ripper, uh, mystery. Yeah. And then if you look at League of uh, Extraordinary Gentlemen, again, that's, he's taken characters from uh, culture, from literature and so on, and updating them. Um, And if you look at uh, some of his other work, what else has he done? Um, He's done a lot of work with uh, DC. (laughs) Well, ABC, yeah, the ABC characters, that's what I wanted to mention, the ABC characters were kind of a, again, what he did with the Watchmen, kind of a stand-in characters for old pop characters and so on. Like, um, so, you could say that Alan Moore does it himself all the time. If you look at a lot of his work, I, I wouldn't say V for Vendetta, that's probably something that's completely original, Guy Fawkes, I mean, is a, a, a historical figure. Oh, you know? true. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not even completely original. But I guess you're right. Um, so he's he's using a lot of stuff from established literature and so on, and comics and so on. Mm-hmm. But I guess criticizes other people when they do it yeah, to his why, work. That's why I said I really think that there is some hypocrisy in what he's saying. But at the same time, I mean, it's. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know how I feel about it, I guess. I, well, like I, I said, I would really like to see some, some of these, um, uh, miniseries actually sound really interesting. One uh, thing. But at the same time, I'm not sure that I'm <laughs> even all that interested in a Watchmen 2 or a Watchmen prequel. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm interested in them myself. Um, but I, I do want to mention, the other side of the Alan Moore story is that he did get screwed up by, screwed by, by DC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that the rights were supposed to revert back to him and Dave Gibbons if DC were to stop publishing new books and new editions of Watchmen and new stuff related to Watchmen yeah. uh, after a couple of uh, years, if I'm not mistaken. And DC never, never to this day, obviously, it's a good seller for them, so I mean they have no incentive not to publish Watchmen material, but there's no opportunity for him to have a lapse in the rights so they can go yeah. back to him, because they're always publishing new Watchmen material, and in this case with those new series, um, the fact that they'll be publishing those, you know they'll be collecting them, and they'll be releasing them even after uh, a while. I mean they'll be re- releasing them for quite a long, for years after that. Even if, let's say, for, for some reason, let's say that the regular Watchmen book 
no longer sold or anyone had a copy already, well, DC could still publish those new miniseries and wait until they start putting them, uh, making them digital. Then that's it. There's a, there's a, there's a no opportunity for what, uh, for Alan Moore or Dave Gibbons to have the rights revert back to them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and DC knows that as long as they keep publishing new Watchmen material or the old book, they're safe. They, they get to keep the full rights on Watchmen. Um, I would say at the same time, you know what? DC bought Watchmen in a sense. They can do whatever they, they want with it. Uh, Alan Moore did sell, they did sell their, their rights to it. Um, so it's tough. Like they did sell the rights. I mean, they, they should have had better lawyers at the time. They probably didn't. Uh, I think he was probably very enthusiastic coming in the project, which happens a lot with creators. Yeah, and didn't think of didn't think of all the, the the fine points. If I were Alan Moore, I would probably say take just take the money and you know, <laughs> I mean he he would probably make a a good enough amount of money with that. It's not peanuts. I mean it's it's decent enough income. Um, yeah. uh, he created it. He created this stuff. It's all his imagination. It's his work. And he doesn't own any of it. <laughs> he doesn't own any of it, um, but it is still his work, whether he wants to acknowledge it or not. Yeah. And I think he should probably, I don't know, he, he should own up to that. And you know what? It is his work and his name should appear on stuff. It doesn't. Um, that's probably the one thing that annoys me the most is that he doesn't want his name there. The original work itself has not been tampered with by DC. The film, yeah, you could say that the film, they played with it. But the original work, until they start recoloring or re-changing re the captions and so on, which I don't think they'll do. They might recolor it. I don't know if, if they even did that, recolor it with uh, new digital uh, color. Maybe they, they've done that in the recent editions. I don't know. But unless, even if they do that, I mean, he, did, he wasn't a colorist on that. Uh, so it doesn't matter, but they could still, I don't know, it's his work, but um, the series themselves, you were going to say, um, I don't know if I'll be picking them up, it feels like a new 52 for DC in a sense, and I like, I guess I like the fact that DC is, I would say that they're taking chances with this, they're taking, not many, it's not very risky, but they are trying to expand, it feels like a second universe for them. Instead of having like an ultimate universe, let's do the Watchmen universe instead. Yeah, that's and true. Maybe they're gonna expand on that in the future, uh, trying to use the best creators ever. The one thing that we can say about this is that they'll always be, because it's Watchmen. I don't think they'll be using bad creators or creators who could not do as good work on any of the Watchmen series. I think they'll always have a second uh, a level of quality that we can expect from those because they'll always be compared to the originals, obviously. So all those guys will always have to measure up. They can't deliver crap here. Uh, so I expect them to deliver good stuff. So in this sense, I, I guess maybe we have a... Maybe it, it will be good stuff. Uh, what's your take on that? I don't know. Well, like I said, I mean, the fact that Brian Azarello is involved is is really promising, um, and Darwin Cook, you know, 
they're they're both uh, top-notch creators. Uh, Len Wein is a uh, he's an industry you know veteran. He's he's been in for decades. Yeah. The same thing with uh, Straczynski. He's been around for a long time too, but his work is kind of hit or miss. I'm a little iffy on that. Mm-hmm. I am uh, noticing. So I made a mistake. I said that it was the Kubert um, brothers are going to be working on Night Owl. It's actually Andy and his uh, father Joe. Joe. Joe? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So. How can he still be working? That's huge. <laughs> How can he still be working? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> This guy should not be working right now. <laughs> I mean, he's a guy who created Hawkman. Yeah. Way back in 1940-something. <laughs> he shouldn't be working today. How come... I know it's going to sound silly, but... I guess he's alive, I guess, and and kicking. I, I'm. It's actually a good thing, but... Uh, he shouldn't be doing stuff like that. That's. He should be relaxing. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, that's a big one. Yeah. I guess that's a definitely, definitely a pick up, pick this comic book. Then, uh, I guess. Um, so, uh, what else has happened this week that, uh, in comics that you want to address or something like that? Uh, let me see. I had, um, sent you a message with some of. Oh, yeah. Let me see if I can. Look that back up because my my memory is a little <laughs> fuzzy right now. I gotta. Yeah, I think I've got it here. Yeah, guys, we didn't prepare this podcast uh, as thoroughly <laughs> as we would have liked. <laughs> yeah, this is a little off the cuff. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, well, uh, there's been a few creative uh, changes in the new Fifty Two as well. Um, We were just talking about Stormwatch last week and um, Paul Cornell's Stormwatch mm-hmm. and how neither of us really liked it that much. Well, that's going to be getting a new writer. Good. Peter Milligan is going to go from Justice League Dark to Stormwatch. Good. And uh, Jeff Lemire is going to go from Frankenstein, Agent of Shade to um, Justice League Dark. Good. And then uh, Matt Kent, who is... New to mainstream comics, he um, just released a graphic novel called Revolver through Vertigo, I believe. And he's done some work for other independent publishers, but he'll be taking over um, uh, Frankenstein then. Wow. Yeah. He got um, some endorsements from the uh, creative team of The Sixth uh, Gun, so that, that seems like maybe uh, he'll be a promising... Uh, new creator in, in mainstream comics. Notice that they're putting him on a book that no one cares about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe he'll be able to prove himself. And I mean, it, he's he's got big shoes to fill. I mean, Jeff Lemire is um, he's a pretty popular yeah writer uh, nowadays. So. At least he'll get some exposure, I guess. Well, it's. I guess. Well, it's a catch twenty-two, I would say. Yeah. Um. I mean, yes, okay, he's put on a mainstream book, but at the same time, um. 
like I don't read that book. I, I think I bought the issue, but I, I didn't even read it. <laughs> uh, it's that bad because <laughs> I, I, I know I've bought I've bought every fifty two issues, but I, I haven't read all of them. Um, so I I didn't even read that one. Um, I guess I can make a commitment and say, okay, I'll try to read it when it's, it comes out. But uh, I'm not sure if it's a if it's a gift or if it's if it's a blessing or not. Yeah, it might be like uh, we're gonna cancel this series in six months, so let's put <laughs> somebody else on here before uh, the ship sinks. Yeah, like I don't even know how this book is doing. If if it's really that popular, um, I don't know. I probably should check some recent. I don't know if we have some recent review of that book at the bin, but should probably check about. Uh, check that. Um, I think um, the first couple issues we had uh, reviewed. It's actually not a bad book. It was um, it was fun. Okay. Uh, it's uh, it's been selling pretty well actually. Oh yeah. Uh, what I'm looking at from Diamond Sales in December, it was uh, in the top 100 books. Wow. Uh, which isn't great, but it's not bad either. Um, it sold 22,331 units. So not great, but uh, top 100 is, you know, marketable. You know, 22,000 years ago, like, I don't know, way back, maybe in the 80s or 90s, 22,000, no book was getting published. At, I mean, 22,000, the book was dead. Uh, now I did 22,000, that's like acceptable. Um, although maybe with digital publishing, if they do a little, if they're smarter about how they distribute stuff like that, maybe yeah. comics don't need to have such a, because it's all digital, a lot of the costs can go down for them, the printing and, ma and making it more viable for our, to have series um, that can go mobile only or digital only, it might be something that, that might be interesting to see. I know some of the companies want to do something like that. Um, I'm not sure if it's always viable or if they're, or if they're doing it properly. I don't think a lot of them are doing it properly. Um, but that's the kind of thing I'd like to see. Like a publisher like DC Comic would say, okay, maybe instead of canceling the book, we'll just make it a digital book and, and, and push it really hard. But the big cost, which is the printing press, we don't have to worry, and the dis distribution with Diamond, we don't have to worry about that anymore. But people can still get the book and support it if they want. Kind of a, like a Kickstarter type of attitude in a, in a sense. Yeah. Don't, don't know if that would be viable for those companies. Um, what about, um, I, I know you. if that's not exactly what your next topic was going to be, but I just want to... Is there, any, is there anything new with Marvel? I haven't been following Marvel the last week, so I don't know if there's anything new. Uh, I don't them. know. Actually, I just got back from my local comic book shop <laughs> maybe like an hour or two ago. Um, you know, there's not really anything all that interesting going on over Marvel right now. Um, yeah. I feel the same way, but I mean, I was hoping there might be any kind of news or anything that we could talk about because um, I am extremely bored. I've been bored with Marvel for quite a while, about six months now. Uh, but now, I mean, it's really, I don't know. 
they, they, they need to do something. What about that Captain Marvel guy that they finally managed to buy? Like, I remember, like an idiot, I sold all my original paperbacks of Captain Marvel in the early 2000s on eBay. And I'd like to see if they could publish those again, because I, I, I would definitely buy um, those those uh, paperbacks again if yeah. they were to publish them. I know Eclipse was a company who made them, and I really sold them. All. I sold everything I had. Um, I'd like to see them back. I mean, oh, you're you're talking about um, Mr. Marvel. Yeah. Did I call him Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel is a... Yeah, uh, no. Oh, sorry. Marvel Man. Did Marvel I say Man. Marvel Man? That's what it was. <laughs> we both had it wrong. Um, Marvel Man, yeah. That's another character that uh, Alan Moore worked on for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I They had bought rights to that um, quite a while ago, hadn't they? Maybe like a year or two ago. And I had always thought that... Um, you know, maybe some collections of the, the old Marvel Man comics would be coming out soon because those are a lot of people have been, you know, uh, there's a big demand for them, I think. There is. Um, but yeah, I nothing that I know of. I haven't heard anything come down the uh, the pipeline about um, any new collections coming out for Marvel Man. Um. But yeah, speaking of Captain Marvel, though, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's um, Jeff Johns, who we uh, love to talk about. Yeah? Uh, he is going to be writing a new... Have you heard about this? No. He's going to be writing a new um, Captain Marvel series for DC, but they're changing his name from um, Captain Marvel to Shazam. Oh, yeah. Which is the um, exclamation that uh, the boy would... Uh, give before he turned into Captain Marvel. Yeah, that's how they've been. Well, the book was always called Shazam because of the trademark issue. Yeah. So now they're completely letting go of the Captain Marvel name. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Well, it makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. One thing I'd like, I've always wanted them to do with Captain Marvel, and I know I'm probably going to piss off a lot of uh, Captain Marvel fans. Because for me, having a Captain Marvel in the same universe as a Superman, close enough, it was like, eh, doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. I've always said, why don't they move Captain Marvel up in Canada? <laughs> uh, why don't they put Fawcett City in Ontario somewhere, someplace like that? Yeah. Um, and make him like the big guy in that country. Because I would say that the Canadian part of the DC universe has always been kind of weak. Compared to Marvel's, which obviously has Alpha Flight, which has been a classic over there. They're always trying to sell comics of Alpha Flight. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But at least there is a there is a strong Canadian component to Marvel, which DC has never quite captured. Um, Marvel has also done a better job with the British type British superheroes, also. Yeah, like MI13. Yeah, I mean. When DC did something kind of similar, it was, uh, what is it, Justice League Europe, and it felt more like an American in Paris than anything else. Yeah, that's what it was. It was like a vacation comic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a good comic, mind you. I really liked Justice League yeah. Europe, the old one. I liked all the uh, Justice Leagues from that era. They're... Yeah, they were, they were, they were great. Um, but it, they weren't like, I mean, they had a few original characters from there, but it wasn't, most of them were just American characters. 
transplanted over there. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess to, that's to say that Marvel is not doing <clears throat> quite anything that good. I don't know when uh, Marvel, uh, what is it called, X Men versus uh, Avengers is starting. I'm hoping it, it can start soon. No, I think it's uh, May. Okay, that far. Kicks off. Wow. Yeah, a lot of uh, build-up. <laughs> That's one of the things that I'm, I'm really, really jaded with uh, recently is, um, I feel like um, maybe we try to avoid it a lot on the comic book bin, but uh, spoilers and um, yes, we do. Things that are, plugging things that are still months or even years away. It's like, come on, just. What this, you know, where's the spontaneity and where is, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It seems like you can't go um, on any Marvel site or DC site anymore without uh, hearing about something that's, you know, coming out six months down the line that's going to be the next gigantic uh, event. Yep. Well, that's something that I would say that... Um, it, it's something that annoyed me way back, I guess in the 90s when I was also reading comics, where before a certain point in, in time, you never knew where the storyline would end. So it could be a four-part, a six-part, a two-part. You you never knew. Yeah. And then suddenly they start marketing everything as a, this storyline is part one of eight, one of six, one of four. Yeah. And I always hated that because it took away the the opportunity of you don't know what's going to happen you don't know where it's going to end because you knew that by if, let's say if it was a four part storyline you knew where it would ha end so you would know like okay it's going to all gonna resolve itself and blah blah you know everything's going to be nice at the end of the fourth part four um, so that's always that's been annoying me for quite a while actually because it, it's related to the same thing that there's no spontaneity, there's no imagination in, 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 in like, to mesmerize and impress readers. Like, yeah. if I was, like, one of those publishers, I wouldn't tell people anymore. I would, okay, this is a two-parter, this is a six-parter. I would just go on and write the story and not let people know. Um, but now with all the advanced preview, it's so difficult. I, I, it's funny because, I mean, of all the people, I sh I'm the one who should be reading those. I actually try not to read them myself. Uh, and it's very difficult because I do get them straight from the publishers, but I try not to read them because I don't want to know what's happening myself. Uh, yeah. Most of the time, I guess it's funny because whenever I I I, I speak to uh, a lot of local comic book fans, uh, I'm almost the most clueless one of all of them, <laughs> and I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to be the guy who knows everything, yeah. but I, I actually try not to know. I don't want to know exactly what's happening because I want to be mesmerized. Um, I think that's part of the fun of comics. You know, when I first read the Phoenix Saga, uh, well, it was reprinted, reprinted in French. I didn't even read the originals. Um, I read a bunch of comics and stuff, and you never knew. You didn't know that it was a six-part or a four-part story. You didn't know. Yeah. It just went on, and then one day it ended. So, like, there was a lot of surprise. Uh, or the when uh, Iron Man was... Uh, the the armor war and stuff like that. You never knew where it was going to end. It was just a story that would start. It was a cool story. 
and eventually it would just end on its own. But yeah. they were, it wasn't formatted. Like no one told you you have to be here for the next six issues to follow this story. And it, and there's a crossover midway with this other thing. Like everything was random. Uh, which means that they could also change the story on you at any point. Um, but now, yeah, I don't feel this way about comics. I wish I could get that. Like, I, I wish we, we could all get comics like that um, where you don't know what's happening, where it's every, always a surprise. Every time you pick up an issue, it's a complete surprise. It could go anywhere. You don't know that it, there's going to be a crossover in six months. You You just don't know, and it's just... A new discovery because that's what comics is about. It's about like putting you in that universe or immersing you in some other, I don't know, parallel space. Uh, so you, you get away. But if you know where everything stands, where's the, where's the like magic world that you're supposed to discover when you read those comics? There's nothing because you know, okay, this is part two of a, a six parter, blah, blah, blah. I know exactly what's going to happen because. Well, well, even, even worse than, uh, just. Uh, numbering chapters of a crossover or an event is uh, naming uh, an event after what's going to happen at the end, like the death of Spider-Man, uh, <laughs> the Fantastic Four's uh, free, like a, <laughs> I don't know, it's just completely mind blowing. I guess it's a good marketing technique because uh, <laughs> it gets uh, some pretty widespread um, press. But I don't know. I guess it, it is a marketing thing. Uh, you're telling the customer, the reader, what they what they can expect. But what's the fun in that in comics? There's no fun in that. Uh, I don't want to know that someone is gonna get killed at the end of the issue. I don't want to know that. I just want to. And spoilers. I, I I'm one of those guys who try not to read spoilers at all. Uh, they're really annoying. I mean, I don't want to know from like I want to discover it for myself. Why should I read some some other guy's post on a forum about what's going to happen in a comic book instead of picking up the actual comic book? Yeah, I agree. I mean, what what's the point of reading comics anyway if you're not going to pick it up? If you're just going to that that it becomes almost like fan fiction or, or something. I mean, yeah, that's that's how I feel too. Like, what's what is the point if you know what's going to happen? What's the point of reading it? Because you already know what's going to happen. <laughs> but I guess it's part of a like a, a marketing thing, um, where you know, like I don't know, it's all formatted. Like the the only guys, some of the guys that get away with it still sometimes are like the the, the movie industry. Where you know there's a planned sequel, but you never exactly know because it's so expensive. Yeah. Um, for example, Avatar. We kind of think we, there might be a sequel sometime, someday. Yeah. We're not exactly sure. So there's always that, oh, will there, will there, not. Uh, with comics, they're cheap enough that you do know when there's going to be a sequel or something. Um, that's a given. Yeah. Um. I want to talk about what I've been watching on DVD this week. It's kind of uh, silly, but I've been watching a bunch of old Super Friend cartoons. <laughs> nice. Uh, they're quite cheesy. They're they're not well. They're extremely cheesy. Yeah. Um, I was watching first the Superman How, uh, not the Superman Hour, the, the 
the Super Friends Hour with the Wonder Twins, and that I think it's Zan that transforms into water or ice. Uh, the Wonder Twins. <laughs> uh, yeah, extremely cheesy. Yeah. Uh, but the second one I've been watching was a uh, Challenge of the Super Friends, where they finally brought in all the all the villains. Um, so that was actually fun to 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 watch. Um, uh, I think I'm gonna be writing about them soon, also. But um, yeah, so there's that. Um, other thing, you had another thing on your mind that you wanted to talk about this week, right? A conspiracy theory or something like that. <laughs> uh, it's not quite a conspiracy theory. Um, it's. Uh... You're familiar with um, Static Shock, right? Yeah. Well, uh, John Rosen uh, once it, um, during the relaunch, the DC relaunch, and he had a writing credit on it, but it, um, I think it was after the first or second issue was released, he uh, quit the book, but was still receiving a writing credit on the book. And he never said exactly why he left. Um, he said that maybe he'd talk about it later. But he, he retained um, a lot of ambiguity about uh, the details surrounding his departure from that book. And uh, recently, maybe like 10, 10 11 days ago, he uh, wrote on his blog what exactly happened with Static Shock. And um, it's pretty mind-blowing, to be honest. Uh, he... Submitted a pitch. He was friends with um, Dwayne McDuffie, who mm -hmm. was integral in building Stone, which is uh, the DC line of comics that Static Shock originated from. And um, John Rosen, I believe, was also very uh, involved in Milestone Comics as well. Yeah, from the 90s. Uh, it was like supposed to be an ethnic-based uh, comic book yep. line. Exactly. Um, that was kind of with and without DC. It was sponsored by DC as an imprint, mm -hmm. but I think the owner, the the creators own, partly owned the the characters. It was mostly black characters. Yeah, um, Static Shock Hardware. Yeah, um, I think Zombie was Asian American. Oh, okay. Um, um, I, if I'm not mistaken, well, Static Shock was probably one of the most popular and went on to go on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, I yeah, he had a popular cartoon series. Yeah. And the Teen Titans and so on, and did a couple of crossovers. Um, so I guess it's one of those uh, properties that DC has that can actually work quite well. And yeah, it can, but it hasn't been. And um, uh, Rosalind talks about that on his blog, what happened exactly. Uh, he submitted a pitch for the Static Shock relaunch, and uh, he got the job. But when he went to the editor of the book, the editor told him that he hated the pitch, and so the comics would be... who is an artist. Uh, it was just cut. What did you say? The comic was just... Uh, Dan? It's yeah. like uh, you're cutting off right now. So you said the comic... The editor told him that the comic was, well, he didn't like the pitch. Yeah, the editor said he didn't like the pitch. Um, 
and that Scott McDaniel, who is the artist on the book, would be scripting all of the issues. Um, and so John Rosen stayed on for a little while. Um, as the book started to tank and uh, the quality was uh, dive-bombing, um, he would try to intervene once in a while. And from what he says, uh, the editor and Scott McDaniel would uh, really meet his suggestions with a lot of disdain. And um, like they, they, <laughs> they knew the book was failing and they didn't care, you know. And it, it seems like it was almost um, that was the plan from the start for this book to fail miserably. And um, the only reason they kept Rosam on was because they were going to use some ideas from his pitches or from his pitch, and I don't think they wanted to seal them outright. Um, and now Static Shock is one of the um, New 52 titles that's being canceled in May. Yeah. So just some interesting stuff going on there. I've been thinking about it a lot. I recently read um, a book by Richard Delgado on um, the use of a stock narrative to suppress um, uh, minorities. And I think I'm going to write about that um, pretty soon here in reference to this news about Static Shock. Um, it's going to be a long editorial, <laughs> but uh, I think it's going to cover a lot of bases um, about mainstream comics and uh, um, how they're actually not very good at uh, implementing diversity these days. <laughs> so I've actually written, um, you, you know that we have the Black Astronaut homepage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've actually written... Uh, like kind of the editorial page on Black Astronaut um, kind of dealt with the issue because that, that's exactly what Milestone faced in a lot of uh, ethnic or whatever like the 99 or Milestone and some of the other smaller publishers that you of, often see at, at comic book conventions and so on or they approach us at the bin trying to push a new like uh, what they would call um diversity friendly series a lot of them that one of the problems that they have is i feel it's like either they they buy in into the mainstream comic thing or they don't and if they don't and say okay we're only going to serve like uh, i don't i'm using something facetious here ghetto kids yeah we're only going to serve this audience here and we're not going to touch the other guys but at the same time, one of the problems that they have, which is a lot a problem that most independent comic book publishers have, is that they need to create their alternate methods of distribution so people can find those alternate comic books that speak to that specific audience. Because if you want to cater to that audience, you cannot sell to Diamond because Diamond... It, it, it will be more difficult. I mean, you can sell some copies, obviously, but it's going to be more difficult. So they have to figure out ways of distributing those comics in a different way and reach out to that audience elsewhere. 
yeah. and that's not an easy thing to do, but it is possible because that's the same issue that regular comic book um, smaller publishers and independents have all the time. So the other part of this is if this if they do something that's more integrated, like Milestone, well. It is, Milestone was supported by DC. You can't have better, better exposure than DC Comics. Um, but the problem is, a lot of the regular comic book readers that go through Diamonds will not even look at it because they see an ethnic product and they say, oh, that's not for me. That's for, that's for ethnic people or something like that. This is, so it, it's a catch 22. And where do they find the balance to integrate properly i think that's what dc and marvel have been trying to do the last few years is change a lot of their older characters because they figure out whenever they try to create new characters like static shock sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work so what they've been doing is changing a lot of those older characters and making them more ethnically diverse um i mean with green lantern in terms of the cartoon series the justice league uh, cartoon that was a success for that i would say where they established John Stewart as the main, well, the black Green Lantern guy. Um, so sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, and sometimes like fans resist. Uh, we all know many stories about that, like uh, Nick Fury. There was some kind of resistance with Nick Fury, with the the Ultimate uh, Spider-Man, the new guy. Uh, some yeah. resistance there. Um, even Daredevil, uh, well, the Kingpin in the Daredevil movie, a lot of resistance against that. Although he was probably the best actor for the for the role, um, so it's always like it's it's very difficult to to it's not an easy issue to deal with at all. Um, I would say, are the mainstream publishers sabotaging? It's so hard to say. Um, it by the get from the get go, it's not easy because part of the audience reading comics doesn't want to know any doesn't even want to touch those comics. They don't care about it. Um, and those who do care may not even be going to the comic book store anyway. Uh, because, I mean, if Static Shock was a success on TV, it means that a, there was an audience for it. So it was probably in a medium where people could actually see it and they liked the character enough. Which means there is an audience for Static Shock. It may, it may just not be found with the regular comic book market. and But that's an issue I've written about in the past where I've said that, and that's not just for ethnic-based comic books or stuff like the 99, but stuff that independent comic book creators need to find ways to reach out to people who read comics who might be interested that's outside of the comic book store, outside of Diamond. Because there's a lot of people that would be interested in that stuff. Um, we know with webcomics that there's a big market for that. We've always known with comic strip that a lot of people go to the comic strip page when they get the newspaper every morning. The, the, the first page where they go. If it's not the sports page, it's a comic strip. So we know that people are into this stuff. It's just that we need to put those comics exactly where those people might want to see them. And I'm not sure that distributing through Diamond and comic book stores, as much as I want to support their local comic book store, is the right place. I think it's the right place once something is more established uh, and people are looking for it. It's the right place to say, okay, I've got my collected edition through Diamond. 
to the comic book store, direct market, it's going to be there. So when that mom goes in the store asking, hey, do you know about this static shop collection? Yeah, there it is. Uh, it's easy for that. But I'm pretty sure there's another way to distribute those comics that can reach out directly to the right audience. It's not easy. It's extremely difficult. A lot of it has to do with a lot of marketing work. And the problem is that there's not enough people who are only focused on marketing in the comic book industry. I mean, there's a lot of them, but they're not focused on how to distribute. Real marketing is not about pitching, sending people a press release and telling it character X is going to attack character character Z next issue and, and please buy my, my, my book. That's not marketing. Real marketing is actually doing market studies and understanding who buys those books and how you distribute, how you make sure that they find the product in the right place where they're ready, when they're ready to, to, to buy and understanding that there's other products that are competing against your comic book, like movies, uh, night, uh, what, uh, take out at restaurant, video games, a lot of other things. Facebook competes with their people's attention. How do you compete with all those other things in the market and make sure that your comic is still relevant for the, for that, for those people? How do you do that? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of thinking and it has nothing to do with creativity. Well, it, I mean, it is creativity, but it's not like content creative comics. And the problem that most independent comic book creators have, whether it's about ethnic comic books or, or not, is they don't, they just don't have the resources to do that kind of work. Um, but I've, I've probably rented too, too long. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, well, there was recently a deal uh, between Marvel and DC with uh, Barnes and Noble, where they um, are now Barnes and Noble is now selling uh, new comic books every week um, in their stores, and I think it's a good. Uh, it's probably a step in the right direction, and I think um, getting uh, comic books to more venues like that, maybe even newsstands, uh, would be beneficial. Yeah, um, Barnes and Nobles, I would say, is a good thing only if there's a coffee shop in there. Yeah, there is. Okay, good. <laughs> I think uh, all of the Barnes and Nobles have uh, a Starbucks inside. Uh, See, that's probably where the comics should be found. You know, I don't know if it's like that in your in uh, in San Diego, but in Calgary and when I was living in Montreal, all the coffee shops had those uh, you know those local papers. The like the the small alternative papers that, that are always free in yeah. some kind of rack at the coffee shop. Why can't we find comic books there? Yeah. yeah. What, what what like? Why don't they put? We have like anthologies and comics in there. I'm pretty sure people would pick them up and read them. Why don't we make the local Starbucks a comic book store? <laughs> A lot, because a lot of the people that go there would be interested in stuff a lot of the time that are not superhero comics. So how come those comics are not there? Why can I, can I not find, uh, Love and Rocket at my local comic, uh, coffee shop? Yeah. Love and Rocket and, co and coffee shop, it seems like it's, it, perfect <laughs> match. it was made to get, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. a perfect match. Strangers in Paradise and Love and Rockets and there's a lot of uh, 
there's a lot of independent uh, comic books that are, are perfect for um, that kind of cerebral setting, you know, where uh, the new uh, counterculture kind of goes to, um, you know, affiliate with like-minded people or, yeah. or get away and read or reflect on uh, social issues. So, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it seems like a, a perfect conduit. I don't know that Starbucks would ever uh, <laughs> uh, open up to something like that, but I could definitely see that in um, smaller uh, um, coffee shops around. If I were them, I would probably, I, I don't know, if they had a, the type of paper that could get inside those places mm. and say, here's a, here's a company, like a free, like a, a very cheap paper, like a free paper supported by advertising or something like that. Mm. And it says, hey, here's a bunch of comics. Just read those. You'll have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually something the comic book bin should be doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's something yeah. we're exactly that's geared it. for that. Yeah. Um, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> this is what the comic book bin will be doing in the next five years. We'll be in every Starbucks coffee shop. And if you have a comic strip, please approach us and we'll put your comic strip in the comic book bin magazine that you'll be finding at your local Starbucks. We will help you as a new creator <laughs> reach out the perfect audience for your comic book. And what did you, you heard it here first on the comic book bin. See? Well, <laughs> I think it's a genius idea. Yeah, I, I think it could be. It's, uh, like we said, I mean, it's a perfect <laughs> venue for, for, uh, the counter-narrative. And that's exactly the type of thing Comic Book Bin could do. Because we could put nice Comic Book Bin articles in there. Mm-hmm. Co- couple of comic strips. It would be like an alternative paper almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it'd be perfect. And then people could say, we could tell people, well, if you want to read the whole comic, you know, you probably need to go to your local comic book store or somewhere else. Or you, you could buy it as from a, an app or something like that. But, uh, yeah, you could find more. Okay. That's what I'm doing with Comic Book Bin in the next five years. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we'll set some goals and some <laughs> some deadlines. Well, why not? I mean, you know that there's a series of articles I've been writing since 2006, if I'm not mistaken, the, the Comic Book uh, Business Plan. And I've always promised that I would have a full business plan. Maybe that's the one I should do. Maybe I should put it on Kickstarter. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, why not? I mean, we've talked. We're talking about it here at the in the podcast. People hearing the idea could say, "Hey, I like what Comic Book Bin is doing. Why, why, why don't I support those guys? I mean, they want to do something cool, and all the creators could find it on Kickstarter and say, "Why don't I give Comic Book Bin a couple of strips? They're gonna try to get it in every Starbucks in the country." And maybe people will discover my comic book and it's a win-win for everybody. And instead of relying on the good old diamond and the comic book store, I have nothing against the comic book store because I mean, they're featured in our apps and so on. I've got nothing against them, but not everybody knows that there's a comic book store in their, in their town and so on. Yeah. And uh, not everybody can get to one either very easily. But everyone knows where the next Starbucks is. 
We yeah. all know where they well, start. There's one, there's one on every corner. <laughs> exactly. So, isn't it the best place to sell comics? I don't know. We'll find out in a couple of uh, months. <laughs> yeah. When I put the project on Kickstarter tonight. <laughs> um, so, you were... But uh, before I, I... I think I kind of interrupted you. You were st still talking about the controversy with Static Shock. Um, you... you You say that you there's a narrative that you find about the uh, ethnic comic book gears towards uh, visual minorities and so on. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, you were talking about how it's it's difficult for um, mainstream comics to kind of find that audience, but how much of that is, um, you know, their own device? I mean, they're by canceling um, uh, ethnocentric uh, comics uh, repeatedly and frequently, they're creating a narrative that says these ethnic comics are not viable, you know, whatsoever. So even people that are interested in um, comic books with that sort of content and um, people that are interested in uh, integration and divert diversity say to themselves, you know, this isn't going to last long, or this is, you know, a pipe dream, or, uh, you know, this, you know, this Black Panther run is too good to be true, or Mr. Terrific, you know, that's not going to last long. They're, it might be difficult for them to find the audience, and it might have been difficult for them to find the audience. Oops. But Let me just cancel that, just a second. I'm okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Dealt with. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, just, I, I feel like it's partially their fault that it's hard to find the audience because, um, because of the narrative that they've created by marginalizing these comic books, you know, uh, through those frequent cancellations and um, it's I don't know that's my piece I guess <laughs> um, yeah you're right a lot of those comics have been cancelled um, it's something that it's not easy I would say the most successful kind of and, I, and I'm using the word kind of ethnic character would, would be Spawn. Yeah. But you know what made... With, with Spawn is that people didn't even know... Well, they knew from the first issue on uh, that the guy was black and so on and he did put it... Even in, in the movie, they put it front and center. Yeah. But it seems like Spawn wasn't seen as an ethnic character. Well, he had his skin burned off. <laughs> yeah. So there wasn't really any phenotype there to, uh, you know, identify with. Yeah. So, I don't know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, is there a narrative that they do, I mean, we, 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 will, we can't say that they're trying. How many times has Marvel tried to publish uh, The Black Panther or yeah. even Cage or Blade? Um, are they always putting the best creators on those series? I'm not sure. Um, I guess that's one of the issues I've got is that every time that they try, the next time that they try it, Um, 
it but that's that's what I'm talking about with like static shock it was the creator at least one creator wanted to give this a, a shot and maybe that's why some of these projects get green lit is because they're backed by popular creators but once this creator found out the kind of environment that he was um, going to be put in trying to make Static Shock a successful comic book, it, you know, it quickly occurred to him at least um, that either they didn't, DC didn't want this to succeed or um, they were trying to be, trying to keep it from being so successful. I feel like there maybe there was a danger with it being successful because it, it could eclipse, you know, white comic book narratives. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I've, I used to feel that way about DC before 52, whereas DC was always trying to impress on people that it was Spider-Man, uh, no, what was Spider-Man, sorry, Superman, Wonder Woman and Batman that counted the most, and then Green Lantern and Flash, uh, versus the way Marvel does it and still does today. It's let's just throw anything at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Uh, so X Men one day took over Avenger as this, like the premier series, and that's it. Or Wolverine is probably as as popular as Spider Man, yeah. and Hulk and Captain America are, are not as popular. And Marvel doesn't have a problem with that. They're just saying, whatever sticks, that's what we're going to promote the most. I mean, if it sells, exactly. it sells. DC has always had this hierarchy, which annoys me a lot, where they think that Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, they're, 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 I mean, they've been trying for years. I mean, they probably finally got it right this time with the, the current Wonder Woman series. Yeah. But for years, they've been trying to push it, and I would say shove it down our throat, that Wonder Woman matters. And most people would say Wonder Woman does not matter. Um, they, they've boosted up so much. They've made a, like, basically a female Superman, which I think is kind of defeats the purpose because she's, she's no longer unique. Um, and but I don't want to read that. She got a lasso. It makes you tell the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't Superman have some kind of something where it can hypnotize people also? <laughs> Didn't he use that in the Silver Age or something? He might have. There was some like super Superman. Yeah, he was doing silly things anyway. But um, maybe now, I don't know if that's how they're doing it now, but with the 52, it seems that they're trying to say... Yeah, it's it's still hierarchic, I think. I mean, look at the amount of Batman yeah. uh, series and the amount of Superman series. Uh, and now I think, it's, I think Green Lantern has sort of um, surpassed Wonder Woman... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the danger there with Static Shock was they were afraid that, well, I, I mean, this is just my opinion and maybe, uh, one of the many scenarios that could have happened, but, you know, if Static Shock is a runaway success, um, you know, what does that do to that hierarchy? And, uh, I feel like there's a, uh, predilection to throw a, a wrench, a monkey wrench in the gears and, and say, okay, we're not going to have, you know, this really talented writer that's been in the industry for 20 years, 
um, touch this series. We're not going to let him touch it. And we're going to have uh, an artist who's never written anything, um, you know, try to do this on all on his own. We're going to give him a, you know, a book on scripting and say, have at it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to, yeah, I think there might have been some resistance. Well, we know from the people have written about that, that there's resistance at DC Comics about hiring some people. Um, for example, uh, what was it? The example that I read, uh, I think it was about related to Dwayne McDuffie that it took him years before he could have finally, like he had been working at Marvel and DC for years, but it took a lot of years before he was given something like the Justice League uh, series after Brad uh, Meltzer. And when he was giving the Justice League series, he was trying to do something, but uh, the fans themselves were not gracious with him. And they really criticized everything, everything he was doing until they removed him and they replaced him with uh, James Robinson yeah. Which I think did complete crap on Justice League just before the 52. Yeah. Uh, really I don't bad. think he did a better job than Dwayne McDuffie. Far from it. No, it was awful. Um, it was really bad, but still, like, and the fans, I don't know what that, where, where the criticism went from the fans, they stopped criticizing him, even though McDuffie was doing stuff that was very difficult. So there's been, uh, I've heard of this before, that, um, I guess you could say black creators at DC don't get the same chances um, as other ones. Uh, they don't get to work on the marquee titles in the beginning of their careers, like some of the other guys um, that they're, they're given smaller series. So I've heard of that comment in the past. Um, I've heard about it too for women. Um, in a sense, women, I, what annoys me about what they do with women is that often, like someone like Gail Simone, they'll put on a woman's book. Yep. <laughs> um, so women cannot write about men. They can't. Like, yeah. well, well, guys can certainly write about women. Young yeah, guys can write about women. White guys can write about black guys. <laughs> um, so that annoys me sometimes. Uh, but you know what? She She needs to work. Gail Simone, she needs to work. So if they offer her the female book, I guess she's not going to complain. She, because there's how many other female writers, women writers are there currently in comics? Not that many. There used to be more. We used to have like some very strong writers like Anne Nocenti, um, um, Simonson's wife. Yeah. Uh, What's her first name? Her name is. Uh, well, Simonson was her name anyway. Uh, yeah. We used to have a lot of, like, I remember Anne Nocenti when she used to write on Spider-Man or even Daredevil. She used to, to write those psychedelic comics. And we didn't look at her as that woman writer. She was just this writer that wrote in this special voice of hers. And it was very rich stuff. Um, nowadays, like, there's so few uh, female writers. Yeah. Um and I'm not sure that it's not a, that it's because women are not reading comics. I'm pretty sure a lot of women read comics. Yeah, I, well, it's. <laughs> I feel like uh, every time I go to the comic book shop, my local comic book shop, there's um, more girls in there than there are guys. Oh yeah, you're lucky. Yeah. 
So, <laughs> so, well, the other thing also to do with that in the industry is that, for example, you know that manga, well, the last couple of years was has been quite popular with comics. Yeah. And the thing is that manga attracts often women. Yeah. Uh, and there is this attitude in the comic book industry that that's always bugged me that manga is somehow inferior to American comics and that no we don't read that stuff. This is no this is crap. This is no we don't this is for kids. This or like the same people who have been defending stuff like Spider-Man and Green Lantern for decades from other people's criticism then go on and criticize manga saying no this is beneath us. This is not a real comic book. This no this this we cannot This is not comics. Where, while manga is, is, you can't get more comics than that. It, it, it is comic. It is from a different part of the world, but it's an important part of the world. Uh, a lot of innovation, a lot of storytelling, a lot of stuff happening there, which we've seen the last few years. Um, so many comics and it attracts at the same time a new audience, new people reading comics that are not your usual I'm sorry for the expression, but grumpy old guy. Um, and what's wrong with that? What's wrong if we have to share comics or the comic store, if we have to share it with, uh, I guess, people like Twilight? <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with that? We need those people to, to those new fans. We need them to, reading yeah. comics. They don't have to read Spider-Man. It doesn't matter. Maybe they'll move on to Love and Rocket one day. That's all we care. As long as they're reading comics, that's all we care. That's all we should care. So I've never liked the this attitude. It's it's the same attitude I would say. It's the same problem. Because um, I don't know. Like at the bin, we have a very large manga section. Um, yeah. I don't see that in many of the other big sites. They always do. Well, the usual Marvel DC. We do Marvel DC, obviously. But it yeah. seems that they, either they do independent. Marvel DC or semi semi mes, mainstream like uh, the IDWs and the Dark Horse and so on. Yeah. Or they only do manga, but they never mix it up completely. Um, I don't know. An example I would give is um, this a section which is kind of interesting at the bin. It's a popular section on the site and it's very rich in terms of article. The Yaoi section. Uh, now we all know Yaoi is not for most people. Um, it's it's kind of a gay comic thing, if I'm not mistaken. It's kind of like that, but it's read mostly by women. <laughs> uh, it's often features stories uh, about two guys. Um, at the bin, there's a huge section on that, and you know what? I don't care. Um, I don't read those books, but do I care? They're comics. All I care is that they're comic books. They have a space. And it doesn't matter that they're, for me, that they're next to the Spider-Man article. I mean, they are organized by section, so it's easy to find them. But it's like heresy everywhere else that you cannot mix those two types of comics. You can't have a Yaoi manga next to a Spider-Man review. You can't. You just can't. It's impossible. It's wrong, uh, and they're all comic books. Well, that's another. I mean, that's another thing. Is 
uh, mainstream comic book uh, news outlets are just as um, much to blame for that uh, that narrative that marginalizes uh, groups like um, uh, lesbians and gays or you know um, people that aren't uh, part of dominant culture, people that yeah. aren't white or people that aren't men or you know people that aren't straight. Because they are so reluctant to uh, showcase something like that, unless it's you know um, Glad Award seasons. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I would say if it's a comic, well, that's it's always been my 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 attitude and opinion about the bin. If it's a comic book, there's a space for it. There's a place for it. Even if it's Archie, actually, yeah, I like Archie stuff. Yeah. Um, even if it's uh, Rob Leefield, <laughs> come on, we have to mention him. Yeah. Or Jeff well, Jones. We have to mention him at least once each podcast. <laughs> yes, we have to mention one Rob Leefield, one Jeff him, Jones. You should tell him he gets the uh, the comic book bin uh, bump every week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a spot for all those comics, and, and that's always been my attitude about comic book bin. One thing. The problem that we have is that we don't have enough resources to do all the all the cool stuff that we would like to do, but yeah. it doesn't mean that we're opposed. I mean, if you don't, we haven't read an article about a manga recently, which is actually we have recent articles. Yeah, it's not a bunch of front page. Yeah, it's not that we don't care about that. It's it's mostly about resources versus other sites. They probably would say, "Don't touch that." No, no, our readers they don't like that. No, um, I've actually been told by advertisers. You guys need to know this. I've been told by advertisers because we figured out that we had a lot of uh, the readership at the comic book bin was female. Um, the number was actually quite high. Uh, 40% of uh, the visitors at the comic book bin are supposed to be female. Well, that was a couple of years ago. It's probably changed by since then. And I was told by, by advertisers and advertising... Uh, agencies that work to put advertising on websites not to promote that at all uh, because it was going to be bad it was a negative for us if we said that we had 40% of our readers were women uh, and that's a bad thing <laughs> it was a bad thing because they saw a comic book site as you know the typical young man like uh, 20, 35 yeah. guy box that was our demographic. And that's that's who we're supposed to talk to. Yeah. Um, so that means that we have to talk about sports, uh, cars, uh, muscle cars, uh, um, <laughs> UFTC, and so on. Uh, that's where they put us. And the fact that we had forty percent of our readership women was actually a bad thing for us. And they told us don't don't put it front. Don't don't make a big deal about it. I was like I was proud of it. I'm like wow, forty percent women. That's cool. That's like that's, that's like one wonderful. Mm -hmm. Like wow, here's a place that because it was very much higher than other other sites. Um, um, if you were, I mean, compared to the newsorama, the newsoramas were probably just below the twenty percent. We were at forty percent women, mm -hmm. uh, and we were told, no, don't don't put that front and center. That's wrong. That's and it, it, it's really annoying. And the fact that I'm talking about it today openly uh, might change some attitudes out there that people may understand that, you know what, 
personally, what I care is that people read comics. I don't care what they read. I don't, I, as long as they read a comic book, whether it's digital or printed, I don't care. As long as they read comics, that's all I care. And that's what the comic book bin is about. Like, read comics. That's all we care. Um, it's not about telling you, you, there's one type of comics, superhero is better than Archie or manga or stuff. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Like, some of it is not personally for me. A lot of it actually is not, wasn't made for me. Um, but like, for example, those Disney comics for kids, like I don't read those, even though I've, I've got a few of those. Uh, they, they weren't made for me. They were made for other audiences, but it doesn't mean that they don't have a space that they, they shouldn't exist and that we shouldn't cover them. Um, they're comic books. It doesn't matter. As long as it's comic, that's all I care. Yeah. Um, enough of my rant. <laughs> But uh, yeah. yeah, I can't wait for your article. Um, it, yeah, I've, I've been working on it for a couple of days now, actually. I, I know I had said I was going to do a write-up of some uh, image comic stuff, but I, I've kind of shelved that until I finish this. It's actually turned out to be a pretty long um, essay, I guess. It, it's <laughs> dissertation-worthy, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so, image. What's that? Image comic. Mm-hmm. You always have something good. I mean, you're my source for image comic stuff. Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> well, uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips' uh, Fatal Number 2 came out today. Cool. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but I am very excited to. That, uh, the first issue of the series was um, absolutely amazing. I reviewed it on the site, gave it a 10 out of 10. Um, what else is going on over at Image? Uh... Brian K. Vaughn has a uh, new image series coming out soon um, called Saga. And he hasn't written any comics for a long time. Uh, I guess since uh, Why the Last Man Ended. Oh, wow. And uh, um, so what else is going on? Uh, Nick Spencer and Robert Kirkman are going to be doing a book together, I think, that starts this month called... um, Thief of Thieves. That looks really interesting. Um, it's about a uh, um, professional thief who is trying to reconcile his um, family life with his uh, felonious uh, lifestyle, I guess. Um, other than that, some more obscure titles like uh, Pigs. That's really good. Uh, it's about a KGB sleeper cell um, in Cuba that gets activated and um, immigrates to uh, Florida and starts wreaking havoc in the United States. Um, Green Wake is a good surreal horror story. Um, i trying to think. There's so many, so many good image books, and it's hard to uh, think of them all at, at once. Um, But yeah, I'll have to I'll have to get back to you on that one. Um, okay. Well, speaking of uh, image books and uh, like uh, the columns that explore different type of comics, um, I'd like to mention uh, Troy Allen, uh, Troy Jeffrey Allen's column. Yeah. He's, mm-hmm. he's he's just started it. The, he posts it in the more comics section uh, every week now. I'd like to mention that because he's he's really doing an effort to find out other comics 
that uh, people might be interested in that are not that are a little bit different than the usual stuff. So I always like to comment things like that because I'm looking for stuff like that too. Um, and he's actually doing like the the hard work trying to find what's cool, what's happening, uh, what we should be reading that's different. Um, and that's always cool. Um, it's in the section that's called more comics. You guys have probably noticed it's it's not called independent or whatever. It's called more comics because we do have like a proper DC section and a proper Marvel section. The reason it was called more comics, uh, it changed name I believe a few times. But even though I use the word sometimes, well, you probably say I've used it a lot today. Uh, the word independent versus mainstream. Uh, those are words that annoy me sometimes. Because if you look at the numbers, every comic book is independent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if Captain America is that mainstream. Because if you look outside of the comic typical direct market, Captain America might not be mainstream. It might be considered geek, geekish. Yeah. Or cult. Almost cult. Um, so is that supposed to be mainstream? Versus something like Love and Rocket might be more popular outside of comic books, the, the regular comic book world. So that's why we call it more comics. So it can be about anything, any type of comics. It doesn't have to be. Uh, it doesn't say that if you write mini comics, that therefore you should be an independent. And so, because I've never liked the word in, independent really. It feels like a po political charge. I don't know, <laughs> something like that. It feels like something different than what it re it really is, which is a comic book. Um, well, I think I do think that independent comic books are a, a, a good um, uh, medium for things that, that might be, uh, you know, a little outside the box or against the grain. And, you know, maybe they, maybe they should be um, a little political. <laughs> uh, oh, that's an article that was... Uh... I mean, Philip asked the question today. Yeah. Um, should comic books be political? Well, or should people use them as soap uh, box? soap boxes? Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Uh, you know, it's um, it's a really divisive issue, I guess, uh, in the comic book world. I'm kind of um, I'm at the point where I, I think there's this imperative social dialectic going on right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Things aren't like they were, um, you know, in 1999. They're not. <laughs> and I think that there is, there is a necessity for our writers and artists to engage in that dialectic. And um, whether they're conservative or liberal or whatever, I mean, I think the pot should be stirred in every facet of our lives to make us uh, really, um, to make us engage in the dialectic as well, you know? I mean, if we're not engaging in it, you know, and there's so much wrong with, um, uh, you know, global government and the economy uh, right now, then there's, there's something wrong. We shouldn't be sitting back and, saying, I'm going to read a comic book so that I can escape and not do anything about um, uh, all the 
this awful stuff that's happening around me, you know? Well, I don't even think you can escape anymore. I mean, for example, yeah. we, I mean, that was a sub sub topic of our first uh, podcast. SOPA is one of those issues that matters. That's part of that new dialectic that people are, that you mentioned, um, where there, there, there are like some major issues affecting a lot of people with decisions made by just a few people, uh, which is completely wrong. I mean, there's no democracy in that. And you know what, whether you like comics or not, or you like, or politics or not, um, comic books were directly affected by SOPA as a political issue. Uh, same thing when you, you've got guys like, uh, Frank Miller, uh, your favorite. Uh, yeah. <laughs> your favorite topic. Uh, you've got guys like Frank Miller who have, uh, I guess no clue and, and are privileged in a sense that he never served, never did anything like that. Yeah. But still can from tell other people that they should be serving and yes. that they. <laughs> Because obviously, if there's a war, they're not going to recruit him. Obviously, he's way too old for that. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't last very long. They're going to... I don't know, it's so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> On so many levels. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wrong, I mean, that he could even say crap like that. Um, and I don't know. The funny, what I thought of when he said all that stuff was... There's a scene in um, 300 where, uh, is it the Athenians or wherever they're from, come across the uh, the Spartans' paths, and uh, uh, <laughs> Leonidas says something like, what do you do? And the one guy says, I'm a, I'm a pot maker, or I'm a potter, and all the Spartans laugh at him. And I'm like, Frank Miller, that's you. You're the potter, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You're such a hypocrite. <laughs> oh, man. He's out of his mind. Yes, he is. It's funny because he's he's the complete opposite of Alan Moore. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they both influenced comics like 25 years ago or something. Around the same time, yeah. Yeah. And probably just as much as, uh, you know, Alan Moore and Frank Miller probably had the same amount of influence on comic books at the same time. Yep. And they both went to a more like realistic way, um, but the results—I don't know—and what? Do, well, what's the result? One guy made movies where people question authority. Well, two of them, uh, V for Vendetta and um, Watchmen. Watchmen. And the other one did a bunch of movies that. It's funny because it was always the, the, that solo guy. Like in um, in Sin City, it was a story about that one guy that got screwed up by the system, but kind of made his way, or I mean, still end up dead at the end. Um, it, it's a different narrative. It's like I'm responsible for the, all the crap that happened to me. Versus Watchmen is like the society and the world is so screwed up that the individual cannot even do anything about it and yeah. gets cut on, uh, gets cut in all the crap. Um, but mind you, people are not wearing, um, masks of Sin City characters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the Polish parliament right now. Uh, they're wearing ma masks of, uh, well, the version of, uh, Guy Fawkes. 
Guy Fox from V for Vendetta. That's what they were wearing. That has become a symbol of Anonymous. It's actually so cool. I like the fact that comic books, something from a comic book, because it's not the first time, something from a comic book has, has, has just spread like the imagery of the Guy Fox mask, which was never as cool as the one that uh, Lloyd made. Yeah. Um, Even Lloyd's uh, yeah. mask was yeah. classic. And that became the image that's been used by a lot of people, uh, making Warner a lot of money, but <laughs> which kind of defeats the purpose. Uh, but still, it's a it's a good thing. Uh, maybe part of the legacy. I mean, if we do like a round turn of the first topic of today's podcast, um, that Alan Moore did contribute something very important. That's probably going to outlast him uh, in the terms of. He created the symbol of defiance to authority in Vifo Vendera. Yeah. No matter I'm what he thought about the film. If a picture of somebody wearing a Guy Fox mask was in a in a history book someday, <laughs> <laughs> and they attributed you know that that asset or that that aspect of the movement to Alan Moore and David Lloyd. So. Well, that's interesting because yeah, it had a, a major impact on on. Not just comic books, but society in general. It is, and I, I would say, even though Alan Moore did not like the the movie that they made of V for Vendetta, the message that they used in the movie was the same. Kind of, they just updated it a bit. Yeah. And but it really was a symbol for what you, you what you call the dialectic that's happening right now. Yeah. Uh, that's it's all about the same. It's the same stupid issue all, across the world. It seems. Um, Things are not so rosy as they used to be. Uh, they're not easy for, I guess, younger people these days. Uh, people coming out of school, they've got full education, but in theory, less opportunities than uh, older generations. And it's so not easy. Like, you've got all that education, you're trained, um, but you don't, you don't have all those, all of that. Um, in a sense, an art form like comic books is a place where there will always be a possibility for guys to create comics or girls to create comics, obviously, without having a big amount of money, um, especially with digital distribution. And, and that's one of the things that always attracted me to comics, that it's probably the one of the those art forms, like, unlike film, I mean, you can have your old film and put it on YouTube and so on. But a comic, you can create a comic in an afternoon or a comic strip fairly quickly. And even if it doesn't look that great, you can expand on it and evolve it um, and do something great with that and send a message out there. Um, and that's why I, I like comics because they have that, that thing that, that different energy that, that you can actually go and do something. Any one of us can go and make a comic tonight if we want it. It may not be great, but we can still do it. Um, and nowadays with the new technologies and places like the bin, you can actually, there's a place where those comics can be seen uh, or covered. And who knows the new dialectic, maybe that's another place we need to go to as a, a comic book news site. Um, 
to think about those issues. It's not just about Iron Man and uh, Wonder Woman. Um, it's also about all of those other issues because you know cartoons have been used to express a lot of uh, opinions for years and years and well decades and centuries. Um, one, isn't that part of what comics are supposed to be? Kind of criticizing part of society. So, I, I, man, that's a lot of uh, theorizing here. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a heady subject. I mean, but you're absolutely right. I mean, um, comics have been used since their inception to uh, promote different narratives, whether it was a nationalist narrative and uh, you know pro World War Two narrative. Um, to uh, a pro-immigration narrative in the form of, uh, you know, Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they definitely have a, an inherent power to uh, create counter-narratives. And uh, I feel like it's not being utilized very effectively these days. No, it feels like like it's more like a product. Yeah. A bit like Watchmen, uh, I guess. Uh, part of my... Uh, the editorial that I'm working on, I, I said that it's product, it's products, and the artists have been reduced to corporate drones instead of artists, and uh, it's that's not how it should be. Maybe that's why comics are kind of well for me. I find like there's something missing. Mm-hmm. So that's why whenever you talk to me about those image books, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to. See what's happening with those guys? <laughs> yeah, because. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like there's something missing, like, same thing related to, like, how we never knew how many parts there was going to be to a story. And now we know it's going to be a, it's a four-part storyline. We know. So all the magic is gone. Um, maybe that's, I think that's what maybe comic books need to go back to the root of what it is, I guess, to be a creator. That's something we don't approach often at the bin, the creator part, um, Because it's a lot of work. I mean, we have to interview people. It's, it's not always easy for me. Um, I mean, we used to do it more often than we do right now. It's not a lot. It's it's a lot of work because you need to contact people and organize schedules and so on. And it's never easy because they're working too. You're working also. You have to write an article about them. Um, sometimes they don't want to answer some of the stuff you're asking them, but you like you feel like you need to ask some questions because people want to know. And it's not easy, but there's still the matter of the craft. And then there's all the politics around it. For example, with SOPA, a lot of those creators could not, even if they were against SOPA, they couldn't tell it. They couldn't say it officially. They couldn't say it out there, even on Twitter. Or, because, I mean, they there would They're be a repercussion against them by the, their publishers and so on. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure a lot of them were aware of what, what was happening. But they, they just uh, kept mum on, on this. So, I don't know, there's a lot to do with the the art of making a comic book that's actually quite interesting. Um, another thing that comic book bin should be going back to, um, yeah. instead of running after, well, we don't, actually, we did stop running after, like, the latest uh, press release and the latest, uh, um, the latest big news that we had to be the first one to post. Uh, yeah. There were a couple of years we did that. If if you've been at the bin for quite a while, you, you can notice that we've changed that focus. Um, it's ma- made us a little bit quieter, the site. Um, but personally, I'm probably more comfortable with what we've got now than chasing the latest story. 
um, all the time and trying to, to be the first one. Whereas everyone has the same stupid story anyway. Um, the, the, the same gossip thing. The same, oh, this is coming up. Um, I don't know. Maybe we, we need to go back to stuff like that. Um, is there uh, any other topic, special topic for this week? No, I think since we've sort of come full circle, yeah, um, <laughs> I think I, I'm going to sign off here. <laughs> cool. Um, so, um, okay, I'll be brief about that. Um, so it's Dan Horn. Uh, Dan, your Twitter account again? Okay, it is at Dan underscore Horn. Okay, so you can find Dan Horn on Twitter and also at the comic book bin. And Dan Horn is obviously one of our writers. Uh, he's a uh, Along with me, we've been doing the podcast, sometimes with other people, sometimes without. So Dan has been here for, from the, on the podcast from day one. And me, it's uh, Hervé Saint-Louis. I'm the publisher of the comic book bin. Um, and you can find me at Adventure. But you can also find me, well, on the official comic book bin Twitter, which is obviously comic book bin, uh, the Twitter account. Um, I'd like to remind, as usual, our readers and people who listen to the podcast, to please go and download the comic book bin apps. They're all free. We're working on new versions of them all the time. That's what I'm, that's what I do. When I don't write articles, that's what I'm doing. I'm working on our apps. It's not, it's not easy work. It's a lot of work, but that's what I'm working on all the time. So we're trying to improve them all the time. So please go and download those apps. They're free. They contain each of them as a store locator to help you find comic book stores in your area. And also, outside of your area, you can actually type any other city name in there and find the comic book store in that city. I know convention season is coming soon, so it's very useful if you go, for example, if you're going to go to San Diego, you can just type San Diego in it and find all the stores in San Diego, even if you don't live there. So that's free. This app is free, and it's also free for the stores to be listed in there. Um, and then we have the comic book convention section, which is not up to date, and I keep promising I'm going to update it quickly. Um, and finally, the articles that you see, the same articles that you see at the comic book bin, you will see within the app. Which means, where, and then whenever you guys have five minutes, go and out, go and open the app. Uh, if there's a new article at the bin, it's exactly updated at the same time within the app, so you'll always get the latest stuff from the bin. And the bin has a lot of articles every day, so I mean, there's always something new when you, when you load up the app, probably. Even if you do it once a day. So this is Hervé and Dan, uh, Comic Book Bin Podcast. I believe it's our fourth or... Is it the fourth? Yeah. Yeah, fourth or fifth. Yeah. So uh, we'll see you next week. And thank you for being with us tonight. Yeah, thanks guys.